Hi everyone, Andrew Johns here and I've got for you a new COVID-19 policy. This is a message out to the BC provincial government just newly formed. Look, provincial governments across Canada are continuing to tighten restrictions on the movement of their people within their provinces and within their social network in order to slow the rise of COVID-19 cases. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the premiers, provincial health officers and government representatives of all levels continue to preach the need to physically distance, wash your hands, and of course, wear a mask. Flatten the curve, bend the curve, and even plank the curve are terms used to often describe what a nation should be working towards. In this video, I'm going to provide you with a brief update on the newly expanded and extended COVID-19 regulations here in British Columbia, which reflect what's going on in the rest of the country. And then we're going to dive into some of the numbers that we're seeing to put things in perspective. And finally, I'm gonna finish with a plea to our newly formed provincial government on their way to think, rethink this COVID-19 strategy. Now, first, these new health measures here in BC. Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer, and Adrian Dix, our minister of health, have extended and expanded provincial health orders. They've expanded these all the way across the province. And they fall into one of three primary objectives, social gatherings, travel, and masks. Simply put, social gatherings and events of any size with anyone other than your household and your core bubble are simply prohibited. They've also advised that travel should be for essential travel only. So all non-essential travel should be avoided. This is includes traveling in and outside of BC and within the different regions within British Columbia. And finally, masks. Masks are now required for everyone in the province to wear in all public indoor settings and workplaces, no exceptions. In summary, the goal by the government is clear. They want to minimize the spread of COVID-19 and feel by limiting social gatherings, travel, and making everyone wear masks, they'll achieve this. I guess the good news is that schools and businesses are still open or able to remain open. Whether British Columbians are actually going out and spending their money at retail locations is yet to be seen. A business can be open, but if there are no customers coming through the door, it doesn't really matter. And this leads into the reason why I'm putting this video together. So second part of this video is about the COVID data. And I think this is really important because you don't necessarily hear this in the mainstream media. The following data has been compiled from three sources. Two divisions of the provincial government itself, which is the Provincial Health Services Authority and the BC Coroner Service, as well as the BC Centre for Disease Control. Now let's first paint a picture of where we were when we started back in March of 2020, earlier this year, and where we are today. So March 23rd, 2020, the BC Centre for Disease Control, or the BCCDC, publishes its first COVID-19 situation report. 539 cases, 339 active cases, 23 people ever in ICU, there was no data at the time as to how many people were in ICU at that moment, and 13 deaths. 101 days later, they publish another report on July 2nd. Of course, there were reports in between, but the next report comes out, 2,900 cases, of which only 337 are active, two people in ICU, and 177 deaths. Another 100 days later, or 200 days since their first report, there are now 10,000 cases, of which nearly 1,400 are active. That's a 350% increase since March and July. 17 people in ICU and 245 people have died. And finally, there's the November 7th report. 229 days later, the CDC reports nearly 19,000 cases, nearly 7,000 active cases, to 400% increase in just 30 days, 59 people in the province in ICU and 321 deaths. The first thing that jumps out at this report is the obvious massive increase in COVID cases, a 400% increase in just 30 days. 
While this number is likely spiking due to the actual surge in cases, it's also important to remember that we have faster, better testing results than we had earlier on. Back in the spring, cases surged and so did deaths. This time around, however, the ratio of cases to deaths is much wider. So how do we explain this? Simple. 100% of deaths from COVID will always be accounted for back then and today. Every death theoretically has a coroner's report. By contrast, not all cases have been tested and accounted for. Naturally, as countries build out their testing facilities, more cases would be logged, and therefore the ratio should widen. And that's exactly what we've seen here happen in Canada as globally, a declining death rate. Today's Canada, and today, Canada's fatality rate has dropped to 3.5% and continues to decline aggressively. So the question comes down to who's dying. Now, before we get into my proposal as far as the new policy I'm gonna ask the provincial government to undertake, we need to look at this one last important piece of data. And it evolves around care homes or long-term care statistics. First of all, there's been a total of almost 1,600 cases in 162 facilities since the COVID first broke out here in British Columbia. 890 residents have contracted COVID-19, 205 have died. They represent 68% of all COVID-wide, province-wide deaths. There's not one single fatality of a visitor or staff member at a long-term care facility, so it's all residents. Another comparable and interesting statistic is that 68% or 203 of the COVID deaths are with people ages 80 and above. This leads me to what I suspect is the most important question, which is as a society, what are we most concerned about when it comes to COVID-19? Cases, hospitalization, ICU capacity, or deaths? I'm pretty sure if you ask anybody who gets COVID, what are they most worried about? It's simply going to be, will I live or will I die? So where do the COVID deaths in BC rank amongst other forms of deaths in our province? Here's some other interesting data. This comes from the BC Coroner's Report. The province of BC sees around 38,000 to 39,000 deaths per year. The approximate number of deaths in the last 12 months has been just short of 39,000. So here's the breakdown. Cancer, 27% of all cases of death in BC are caused from cancer, just over 10,000 people a year. Heart attack, 7,400 or 19%. Illicit drugs, 1,200 cases which is just about 3% of the population, of which fentanyl is 963 cases, suicide 408, COVID-19, current most updated data, 348, and motor vehicle fatalities is 314. To put these deaths in perspective, COVID-19 deaths have just surpassed the number of deaths normally caused by motor vehicle accidents. The total number of COVID-19 cases is still less than 1% of annual deaths in British Columbia. The number of people who've died from cancer this year is 32 times more than the number of people who died from COVID. But look, we've been battling cancer for years as a society and we've had huge wins. I think the most compelling number is comparing the death of overdose of illicit drugs to COVID. The illegal drug and fentanyl problem in BC is at crisis levels. For every single death of COVID in BC, we have four people dying of illicit drugs. Why aren't we putting the same number of resources into addressing the fentanyl crisis as we are for COVID? If you were to ask politicians, do we value as a society all lives equally? Of course, they're going to say yes. But the sad reality is that the lives of those who are addicted to drugs living in the downtown east side are probably not valued as much as everybody else. That's just the sad reality based on our policies. I can make the same argument about our government and their policies, that they, how they value lives of those people living out their final years in care homes. Why? Because if those care home deaths were important to our government, they'd allocate more resources to it. 
How do I come to this conclusion? Simple. Those ages 70 plus represent 13% of our overall population, yet they represent 84% of all of our COVID deaths, and they've nearly all occurred in care homes. So we come to my final conclusion or my final suggestion, and this is for John Horgan, the BC government that's just formed. It's build the bubbles. To summarize this data, COVID-19's fatality rate amongst care homes is nearly 25%, meaning one in four people that get COVID in their care homes are going to die. 67% of all deaths of COVID are taking place in care homes. This last summer, the National Hockey League and NBA both successfully completed an entire playoff series COVID-free. The Atlantic provinces have also had a COVID bubble that has basically been impenetrable. Despite having hundreds of athletes, media, staff, support workers, cooks, for those two franchise programs and Atlantic provinces, they managed to do something that even myself didn't think they could pull off, which is having a COVID-free bubble. Today, BC has 293 care homes across the province providing 27,000 publicly subsidized beds. But here's something else that's interesting. We also have 80,000 hotel rooms among 600 plus hotels in the province, most of which are running at near zero occupancy. Also, tons of unemployment related to that industry. So, if I'm the newly formed BC, BC government under John Horgan, if I were to take a global pandemic seriously, we should adopt this hybrid model of the Atlantic bubble and the NHL NBA bubbles, and here's how you do it. Number one, declare all care home facilities as part of this care home bubble. No one's allowed in, no one's allowed out, without 14 days of isolation. Long-term care staff, for anyone who's gonna volunteer, we pay these people three times their salary to work in this care home bubble. They'll be provided with transportation to and from work, housing, meals, basic amenities like a gym, common areas and outdoor access. The only caveat is they will not be able to see their family or friends for six months. We then go to the hotel sector. We allowed all hotels to bid to have a fully occupied facility that the province will occupy and pay for in its entirety. Run an open bid auction style format, which ensures taxpayers pay the least amount needed to supply these long-term care homes with the support staff in this bubble. Finally, support staff. We now hire bus drivers, cooks, hotel staff, massage therapists, counselors, and other support people who are gonna help be able to maintain this bubble for the next six to nine months. You pay these people three times their salary as well. Same conditions as long-term care staff. They cannot see their family or friends for six to nine months. With this fully enclosed bubble in operation, province-wide, the number of deaths will plummet and the government can lift many of the lockdown restrictions, the strictest ones that we have in place today. To finish, I'm not suggesting that we throw caution to the wind and get rid of all the other health, public, public health measures that have been implemented, such as wearing masks and washing hands. But if we increase the efforts to specifically protect those most vulnerable citizens, we might be able to lift some of the more severe restrictions that apply generally. That we'll not be able, and not, doing this will not only allow many British Columbians to go back to living a normal life, but it'll also spur on a massive economic activity. This surge in economic growth will generate more than enough tax revenue to cover the cost to protect the most vulnerable people in our province, many of whom fought in World War II 75 years ago to provide us with the freedoms and luxuries we have today. So if nothing else to the BC government today, do the right thing. You've asked us to look out for everybody else by doing the right thing. Now it's your turn. Start protecting the care homes and make the society of our province a little bit easier to live in today, and let's make it better for everybody. You've got the tools, get it done.